Thank you, Brent. Good morning, church. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Um, so how are your New Year's resolutions going? The elders had resolved that none of the ministers would be gone on the same Sunday in 2017. Well, you see how, how well that's gone. No, I'm only kidding, but, but as Brent mentioned, uh, the elders are, are the uh, ministers uh, are out. Cade and uh, Chris, Chris tagged along to Florida, can you imagine that? With the LFC, the college uh, uh, students, they are at the uh, Gulf Coast Getaway Conference along with thousands of other students of campus ministries throughout the uh, country. And uh, Rick is with the uh, youth, or in, way back uh, from Dallas with the youth group who were attending the Winterfest, Winterfest Youth Rally. Um, so I'm the best we could scrounge up around here this morning. So as uh, Earl Flood and I were discussing, um, you can cut my paycheck. If you, at least you're not out a lot of money today, that's for sure. Two weeks ago, Chris uh, introduced the topic for the month of January, and that is fear. And uh, when I agreed to fill in this morning, Chris and I were talking about this morning, and I agreed to continue with the same theme, but I said, Chris, you've taken all the best material. And he said, you have to say things sometimes three times for them to, to take hold. So I'm not going to repeat that, but the general theme will be repeated this morning. So I hope, um, hope you at least get something out of this. So what is fear? Well, sometimes we get a bad uh, connotation of the word fear, but it can mean respect. It can mean an avoidance of danger. It can be healthy and appropriate. Sometimes we use the term healthy fear. Maybe a fear of, of snakes or a fear of electricity or uh, a fear of driving on the ice or slipping on the ice or maybe a fear of an ornery bull somewhere in a pasture. Fears are normal. They can keep us safe. They're part of our society. Now, it's true that some people struggle with particular fears and some do not. And some struggle with a type of fear and others do not. That's simply the way life is. We hear sayings like, fear is a great motivator, or we have nothing to fear but fear itself. But the truth is, fear can be normal. And it's unavoidable, and some, in some circumstances, it's entirely appropriate. This holds true especially for children. Children having to learn to fear appropriately. You know, don't touch a hot stove. Don't put your finger in a light socket. And in fact, lack of fear can be dangerous. I ran across a 2010 article, and it was about a woman. It was titled, A Woman Goes Through Life Without Fear Due to a Brain Disorder. This woman had no fear. She reached for poisonous snakes. She would giggle in so-called Halloween haunted houses when things would jump out at, at, and scare you. She would laugh and giggle. She was once held up at knife point, and the, the guy had grabbed her and was holding her at knife point, and she walked calmly away after it was over and didn't run away. In fact, she had to have a constant companion with her because uh, if she didn't, she couldn't avoid potentially dangerous situations because she had no ability to fear. Some fears are individual in nature. Some have an intense fear of snakes, but some 
want to keep them as pets. Don't know why, but some do. Some have a fear of water, but some can swim the English Channel. Some have a fear of heights. They like to bungee jump. Again, I don't know why, but some do. Some like to work in skyscraper construction or wash windows, as you say in Texas, or wash windows in Arkansas, but they get on skyscrapers like this and wash windows. Not the life for me, but I guess someone's got to do it. Some fears are situational. They're based on the situation. Are a set of situations. But what if the situation changes? What happens when something or someone or something else is introduced into the situation that something that was previously unknown, unexpected, something that is different? Things aren't the way they used to be. So what happens? What happens when it's not like it's supposed to be? What happens when our world gets turned upside down? What happens when our fears rule us? Back to our list. Fear can be paralyzing. It can be unbearable. It can be debilitating. But it's a very real and persistent agony that sometimes has to be conquered. Sometimes people spend a lifetime trying to conquer. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. In fact, we're told about things such as phobias. The definition from an online medical dictionary, and if you read it on the internet, it's got to be true, right? So this is the definition from the online medical dictionary. A phobia is an excessive and irrational fear reaction. If you have a phobia, you may experience a deep sense of dread or panic when you encounter the source of your fear. The fear can be a certain place, situation, or object. And understand, I am not in any way disparaging or diminishing or minimizing phobias. They're very real and very painful for a lot of people. And as we said before, that there are those who can handle particular fears in particular situations and others who cannot. They struggle mightily in doing so. From A to Z, there are over 530 documented phobias. From ablutophobia, which is the fear of washing or bathing, to zoophobia, which is the fear of animals. And let me, let me assure our parents here that if you have young children at home, which as a parent I did at one time, having trouble or struggling to get them in the bathtub at night and get them bathed and ready for the next day or school in the morning does not mean they have this phobia, this fear of, of washing or bathing. That just means it's normal. That's a normal behavior, at least it was at our house anyway. But fear, fear is a normal part of our society. But what happens when fear becomes a hindrance? To my faith, or your faith, or someone else's faith? What happens when fear controls us? What happens when our fear becomes a lack of faith 
That spells trouble. So what is the uh, discerning factor? Well, to me it all boils down to this. It's a perspective. A person's perspective on the situation. Perspective is a simple 20-point Scrabble word, but it can make all the difference in the world. How many of you have seen this commercial? If you haven't kind of explained it to you, a um, teenage girl and a grown man are, are going to go visit their insurance agent. The teenage girl is being given the keys to a brand new car, probably your first car. And the adult man comes into an obvious urban area and he finds his car up on blocks and all the wheels stolen. Now, you know the one that says, is this my car? They're both going to do the same thing. They're both going to go visit their insurance agent, but don't you think their perspective in doing so is going to be a little bit different? Don't you think they'll have a different perspective? Well, life is full of ups and downs and peaks and valleys and good times and bad times, but when we face those challenges and struggles and difficulties and pain and loss and and agony and that will come, when we face the really, really tough times, will we Face it from a perspective of faith or from a perspective of fear? Well, then, are there any examples from the Bible that we can learn from? Well, you bet you there are. I invite you to consider these. Gideon. Gideon the mighty warrior. But Gideon that started out the very reluctant warrior... God told Gideon to go and fight the Midianites, to destroy them. Gideon's first response was, me? I I can't do this. God said, yes, you can, because I can. Beginning in Judges 6, uh, beginning in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in strength. You have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Okay. The sign. Gideon asked for a sign. He'll receive a sign. Jumping down to verse 36 of Judges chapter 6. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And that is what has happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. 
Only the fleece was dry, and all the ground was covered with dew. Okay, good enough. Gideon, now go destroy the Midianites. Take your army and go. Obviously, Gideon has a little reluctance here, and his fears are being set aside, his fears are being addressed, but now we have this in hand. Not exactly. Continuing on, chapter 7, the very next verse. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the, val- in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My strength has saved me, they would say. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he will not. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongue as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now you tell me, how many of us would like those odds? Let's be honest. If we were approached with this and we were in this position, would we not be approaching this situation with some fear and trepidation when our army had been reduced from 32,000 down to 300? Okay, Midianites, bring it on. We're ready. We have few enough to face you now. But what changed from Gideon's initial reluctance to this victory? And God did grant them victory as he said he would, complete and total victory. But what changed? From his initial, I don't know I can do this, I'm the least, to this great victory. We'll get in perspective of the situation. I feel like I'm talking at a barrel now. Get in perspective of the situation. He approached the situation with faith and no longer with fear. And God helped him win a great victory. What about Elijah? Elijah, prophet, God's messenger, his chosen messenger. One who would not die, but would be taken up to heaven directly through a whirlwind. One whom God would use to perform many miracles, including raising the dead, bringing down fire from the sky. The one who said there would be neither dew or rain on the earth, except at my command, my voice, my word, and there wasn't. And then based on his word, there was rain after all the drought and famine. The one who raised the widow's son from the dead 
With all this power behind him, surely Elijah would have no fear, right? Wrong. With all that power behind Elijah, with all that he had done through the power of God, he runs away in fear for his life and hides in a cave. 1 Kings chapter 19 now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. All at once the angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. Journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to the death with a sword. And I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God told Elijah here and then following that you're not in control of this situation. I am. God tells him later to go back the way you came, Go back and do what I've told you to do. And Elijah did. And God did what he told Elijah he would do. And Elijah's reward for his faith was that he was taken up into heaven to be with God. But what changed? Elijah's perspective of the situation changed. He finally faced the situation with faith and not with fear. The disciples. So the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus himself, he's asleep in the back of the boat. The disciples with him had personally seen him heal the sick, make the lame walk, drive out evil spirits from people, teach the crowds following him, teaching them parables, frustrating the religious elites with his extraordinary knowledge and wisdom and teaching. The Son of God is merely feet away from them, yet they are terrified. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples awoke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we're going to drown? 
He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? The disciples are in the boat with the Son of God. Jesus is in the back of the boat, feet away, but he might as well have been thousands of miles away. And Jesus' peace contrasts sharply with the disciples' fear. They are, in Jesus' own words, of little faith. The very same words used to describe those who are anxious for tomorrow. Jesus' uh, own words from Matthew chapter 6. Are those who doubted Jesus' power to work extraordinary miracles. Our Heavenly Father may not always protect us from the storms of life, the storms here on earth. But he will do with our lives what is best for us. You know, by this point in the narrative, it appears that the disciples are without excuse for their unbelief. I mean, what do they say? What can they say? It's like Israel in the wilderness that Chris introduced a couple of weeks ago about the stories with the spies into the promised land and their return. But, but what could... They, how could they respond? What could they say? If the disciples thought the boat would sink with Jesus aboard, it was because they didn't understand his true identity. His power over the sea and his power in this particular situation then forces them once again to grapple with the question, where is your faith? Faith in Jesus' authority flows from a conviction, a conviction concerning his true identity, a faith in his true identity, a faith of who he is and what he will do, and one who will do what his Father said he will do and ask him to do, and one who did do what his Father asked him to do. The elders have committed over the next 30 days, to spend 30 days in prayer. Prayer for guidance. Prayer for discernment of God's will. We're asking that God show us what to do. What to do with this building, in this community, around the world. We're, help, we're asking Him to help us to set aside our fears and rely on our faith. Whatever we may face in 2017 and beyond, whether it be this month or next month or 10 months from now, or even in the next year, we're praying that God will help us face it with faith and not fear. And we invite you, we ask you to join us. Let's petition God that whatever we face, however we face it, that we face it in faith, not in fear. So what's your perspective? 
We don't know where God might call us. We don't know what God might call us to do. We don't know what next month or next year or the year after or will bring or if there even will be one. We don't know what situations in life we will face. And we don't know uh, what each day will bring, but we know whatever we face, we won't have to face them alone. As we said before, fear can be a very normal and a very appropriate response. But fear without faith is always the wrong response. We may face a situation that someone else would view differently. Depends on the perspective, just like these two from that commercial. Probably going to happen at some point. We're going to be faced with a situation that someone else is facing and handling differently, and we don't understand why or how they could do that. Or, but that's probably going to happen. But it is our faith, not our fear, that will give us the victory. Just ask Gideon. He could tell you. So what's your perspective this morning? Has your fear been overcome by faith? Or do you need your faith to overcome your fears? Do you just need to begin a walk with God? Are your fears holding you back to be the Christian that you should be, or the, the husband, or the wife, or the son, or the daughter, or the grandparent, or the employee, or the brother and sister, or the brother and sister in Christ? You know, we stand ready to help you here this morning. If you need to put on Jesus Christ in baptism, we can assist you this morning. But anybody who's done that before can attest to the fact that won't, lend, that won't end all of life's problems. In fact, that will introduce, in some cases, problems you didn't have previously. But I can tell you, just as it was with Gideon, just as it was with Elijah, and just as it was with the disciples, faith in God ends in victory. We invite you this morning, if we can help you in any way, there'll be elders in room 100 back through the doors of the auditorium. There'll be elders down front. If we can help you in any way, you can come now. Let's stand and sing.